Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. See the most beautiful thing I've ever filmed. This is for your own good. You'll have to bear with us for a while. Big mistake. Big. Huge. Baby, baby, are you seeing this, boss? Happy to disappoint you. Are you not entertained? All right, folks, welcome to this now playing edition of Captive Audience, where we're talking about poor things. Now, this movie came out uh, not insanely recent, but it is still in theaters. It is an Oscar nominated best picture nominee. It is worth talking about. It's, it's, it's a divisive movie. I would say, um, it is a splashy, colorful, loud movie, which are some things people don't like. Uh, so with me to discuss this movie, uh, of course, Mr. Sean Roney. Hello, Sean. Hello. One of the OGs and our guests here, uh, from the big Lebowski episode, Peter Gallagher. Hello. Hi everyone. And, uh, and joining the show for the first time. Miss Caitlin Dent, 50 Dent, as she's known around my condo. No, just kidding. Uh, Caitlin, <laughs> welcome to the show. I'm happy to be here. I'm psyched. Yeah. I'll say sort of the genesis for this one came um, not only as it as it is a, a now playing movie, but we have a we have a discord. We're not going to go into the discord. We're not going to talk about what we <laughs> talked about. But amongst our friend group, <laughs> we discuss movies. We keep in touch through this discord channel. And I know uh, Caitlin and Peter was I mean a lot of people either kind of love or really don't like this movie. Caitlin and Peter, I would say, uh uh represented that and I thought they'd be great to bring on to the show. But let's kind of start zoomed out bird's eye view, walking out of the theater. Poor things. Uh did you like it? Anyone can take the ball here. I walked out of the movie immediately, loved it. Yes. I me too. I was like this is a just my, my initial first reaction was just like, this is probably the best subversion of the born sexy yesterday trope I have ever seen. Mm. Loved it. Loved nice. the performances. Loved the production design. The costumes, bananas. The script, bananas. The cinematography, nuts. <laughs> we are switching from banana to nuts. It was just a yeah. whole Sunday of fun in a way that I didn't, I didn't know what it was going to be when I went in, but I was just like, that's... Just a whole, whole mess of fun. Just a movie, movie version of a of a Bananas Foster. Just nuts <laughs> fudge, yeah. Which some people don't like. Um, yeah. What else? Uh, I, I I'm with you, Caitlin. Walking out, I really liked it. And as uh, as time has gone on, in the in the day since I've seen it, I've actually liked it more. Uh, sometimes that goes the other direction for me, where I'm like, the more I think about this movie, the more I hate it. Uh, but but this one is is I'm still thinking about it. Um, it's kind of been printed in my brain. I will say there's things I didn't like for sure, but overall, um, I was totally charmed by this movie, and it, it just worked for me. Sean, Peter, yeah, uh, I uh, I I really enjoyed this movie. I'm uh, I would say one thing that I really loved about 2023 was that 
Hollywood put some money into some really weird movies, and I'm very grateful for that. Yes. I, I would say, I'm, I'm speaking of, of course, Poor Things. Also, Bo is Afraid, an Ari Aster movie that came out earlier mm-hmm. in the year and didn't get much recognition, but um, I, I'm, I'm just here for it. Like, it, yeah. I, I want to see more big budget weird movies, and Poor Things absolutely yeah. delivered. And Bo is Afraid was kind of another, like, 10 star or one star type of movie, right? It seemed like that was also just like love or hate, nothing in yeah. between. Yeah. I think, yeah. That yeah. one, almost three hours, not tired of it by the end. <laughs> no. Peter, what about you? Uh, I absolutely hated this movie with like every <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yes. My wife, Mary, and I had gone to see it on a date night, which we get very few and far between. With two kids. And uh, she said, what did you think? And I said, I think if I looked over and you hadn't been smiling and laughing, I probably would have left the theater. Like, which is a reaction I've not had to a, a movie. Wow. In many years. And. Wow. I and, wow. and I don't. I've got some theories as to why I bounced off it so hard. I'm not trying to bring a bunch of haterade to this to this party, but I'm just. <laughs> no, please. I'm please like. Do. I, I, I just, I absolutely just despise this movie and I, I like, I, let me start with the things going into it that I was wary of. Uh, so yes. first I, I have okay. not typically really, so liked you went in wary, a little wary, I'll say a little wary, but open-minded. Um, okay. Okay. yeah, let's call it guarded. Uh, so I, I actually, I talked to close, close friend of this podcast, Colin Griffin about, about this, this movie and he really liked it. And I had said, you know, I, I don't really like Yorgos's movies. Um, one time professional Greek basketball player and director of this film, Yorgos Lanthimos, who made The Favorite <laughs> and The Lobster and Dogtooth. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I, a disclaimer, I, I mixed... we should say Colin is the partner of Caitlin. I think that should yeah. be noted. <laughs> that <in> the... is <laughs> true. <laughs> Tight circle. I so, I so badly want to see Colin's head just poke in sadly in the back. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> So I, I, I had, I, I really liked the favorite. Like I actually like really loved the favorite. I did not like the lobster. I did not like dog tooth. And so I, you, at this point he was kind of battened 333 and okay. killing of a sacred deer. I didn't see it. I didn't see killing of a sacred okay. deer. I, okay. yeah. Um, hand up on that one. I don't like steampunk. Like I really like dislike <laughs> steampunk as an aesthetic. <laughs> So as oh, soon as no. like floating contraptions were out, I was like, oh no, uh, I don't like body horror very much. Uh, so uh, when the burping started, yeah. I was also just like, geez, this isn't going in the right direction. Um, <laughs> and, and then it kind of just snowballed from there uh, until it was two hours and 20 minutes later. And I was just ready to crawl out of my seat. So How I don't want to like just, again, yeah, how did you yeah. like the duck head on the on the pug, on the dog? That was cool. So let me get this Good. out of the okay. way really quick. <laughs> I will say, and by the way, I Peter, say, I don't want you to feel like you're on trial. Like we're not. No, I don't. I, don't. I do. I- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let, let. <laughs> I so let me let me let me start with this with this 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 hand this handshake between friends that like I loved a lot about this movie. Like, I loved the set design. Like, I was looking at some stills of this film uh, earlier, like, getting ready. And the sets that they built were so awesome. Like, I loved the costumes. I loved all the performances, except for Gerard Carmichael, who seemed to just be in a different movie. Agreed. 
that, like, that I, what I was violently agree. it violently ripped me out of the movie his scenes <laughs> he it was like uh, anyway uh i've never seen a more ham-fisted scene than his like soliloquy about how the world is harsh i was like he was oh, just in a he was just in a this. different movie it was like yeah. it was like he had been pulled up and dropped down no i didn't get that from him he didn't rip me out at all i feel like he's always like fairly understated like i can't think of anything i've seen yeah. him in where I would say he plays like a very loud character, like or a more, I guess, dynamic yeah. character than what he was playing here. Like even on the Carmichael show, which is a sitcom at the end of the day. Yeah. He's still like not really giving himself any of the laughs he's given that to yeah. other people. I, yeah. I think that's really true. I, I think that being understated in this movie was just so hard to do, right? Because everything is like so saturated. Yeah. That it just felt like he was just <laughs> Yeah. Like so uh, over the top. So I, let me oh, just I let me just preface that. Let me just say this: like I liked yeah. a lot about this movie, and I thought that Yorgos completely screwed up like everything that was good about it with how he shot this movie and how they ultimately scored the movie. Mm. Like I could not get a handle on any of the things that I enjoyed about it due to the way it was filmed and the way that it was scored. So hmm. that's you, my so you don't. Opening do you like <laughs> so what i mean when you say the way it was filmed my mind immediately goes to the fisheye lens do you the fisheye lens because <laughs> that is yeah. the, like the most unique thing that he's done lately because he did it a few times in the favorite and and, yeah. and i was and it and way more in this movie yeah and it was just, it just felt gratuitous. Like, it just felt like I, it, it felt like somebody who was figuring out a camera for the first time. Like my uh, four-year-old daughter has a digital camera now that she can play with. And it has like little digital frames that you can do. It was probably like $15 <laughs> off of Amazon. Uh -huh. um, but it, you can like add frames and you can make it, you know, like zoom in. And it felt like watching something that she would shoot at times where it was so distracting <laughs> to the she actual like, circles. She could film circles around <laughs> Lathamos, dude. Like I'm this saying, guy's got, I'm nothing. saying yeah. Una could have directed a better film than Yorgos. Uh, no, it just, it just felt so distracting from what I thought were like amazing performances by Emma. Like I will be like, I've never hated a movie so much and been so down with it to win so many awards. Cause I just mm. felt like the the mm. parts of this movie that, that I think probably resonated a lot with, with all of you just didn't add up to anything for me because ultimately it's the director who ties the bow on top. Right. And kind of makes it a complete yeah. film. And I just felt like all these things were adding up and they just, they just couldn't come together because I think Yorgos just really liked smelling his own farts and like really liked just <laughs> shooting this movie in a way that like, he just felt like would make him look good. So that's like I'm probably going to agree so this with is like just 90 percent of the things you guys are going to say. <laughs> this is just a recipe. This is a recipe, and just like all the ingredients were specifically picked out of like I don't like that food. I don't like that ingredient. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I but I feel like maybe this is good. I, I just want to touch on the on the fish eye before we move on because I I feel like for me like watching the favorite that was definitely something that. I, I was like, whoa, like, what is happening now? Like, there's just some crazy shot, uh, like, it, it, where you're, it's like a fly on the wall POV is literally what it is. And, um, but I did watch, uh, but I liked it in Poor Things. I don't, when, when they would go to, I was like, it was like, I was already de desensitized to it from the favorite. 
And I actually really enjoyed it in Poor Things. And the cinematographer, I watched an interview with him, uh, Robbie Ryan. Um, <laughs> it's a great name. Dude, I feel like cinematographers 98% of the time have like these wild Eastern European names. Yeah. And this, the guy who made this movie is just called Robbie Ryan. Like Robbie Ryan. Hell? It, no, quarterback he, for your local high school. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, he seems great. And like, look, I, uh, I, I own a, a 10 millimeter lens and that is very like fisheye kind of to me. And on the favorite, they had a six millimeter lens and Yorgos apparently went to Robbie and was like, can we get more? Can we get a small, like an e- even lower uh, millimeter? And yes, they found a four millimeter lens. And that's kind of too, that like, sometimes it has that vignette. There's kind of just like, it's just a, you know, a, a surrounded by blackness. And that is literally the image that comes out of the camera. Cause it's so fish eyed. And um, I don't know. There's just something, I guess. And they were saying, too, that like Yorgos will wait until like they've already filmed every other angle. And then he'll go, let's let's get the four millimeter out. <laughs> Which <laughs> like he'll just, it, okay. it, it, it's just like I just think it needs yeah, I, more. I loved the cinematography for this. I kept I uh, one one of my best and worst qualities as a as a film connoisseur is that I am incapable of watching a movie that I enjoy without immediately looking up everything that I can about it afterwards. Yeah. So yeah. I, oh man, I, I can't tell you how much I have learned about this movie since seeing it. <laughs> yes. But I, I found out that the, the cinematographer, the four millimeter lens thing. So the whole movie was shot on a single camera with five lenses. And I guess they shot a lot of it on these old like portrait lenses from like 1910, where they mm-hmm. used to be projector lenses, but then they've now been like re-adapted to use oh, as camera cool. lenses. They're called uh, Petzval lenses. Hmm. And they, they just create this like really wild effect where it's like soft and shallow. You get kind of this full focus, but then it's kind of like bend at the same time. Just yeah just a really unique way of looking at the film and kind of the world. Cause you're kind of looking yeah. through Bella's eyes. Right. I I'm picturing a camera, like one. you would say one camera, five lenses. I'm picturing like at the, like the eye doctor where they're like, all right, one or two or three <laughs> or four. Like he's just spitting through different lenses on the one camera. But I, I agree with you, Caitlin. It does. It is. I, I was, it felt earned to me in a weird way even though it, it for some reason did not bother me and it does oftentimes in other movies, but like uh, the fact that, that you are experiencing everything as almost growing up with Bella that happens throughout the entire movie, right? It starts in this black and white, slowly more and more color comes into the movie as she has her like brain develops slowly. The colors get super, super, super intense. Everything gets like crazy around her, which is like the feeling when you're, that age like or whatever age she is which is which we'll get into which is kind of a funny part of this movie because it's hard to it's hard to just be like at this point she's six at this point she's 10 but it's like none of that matters because what this is a frankenstein movie basically so there's no precedent Mm -hmm. for like her who she is uh but like the steampunk thing when she first goes to portugal and she looks up and there's like flying cars on cables up there and it's like okay that didn't exist in the late 1800s in, in Lisbon, like 
But when you're a kid and you're like walking and seeing something the first time, it feels that way. It's like, this is a magical place. Whoa, there's stuff I've never seen. You know, like those were probably just a cable car, right? Or like a tram with the wires overhead. But mm-hmm. when you're that kid seeing it for the first time, it's like, wow, flying cars. I've never seen it. Because you've got to keep uh, in mind, she's never left her house. The uh, the designers, there's two production designers of the movie, Shona Heath and James Price. And I was just reading uh, an article they put out that was uh, has a great part in it where they <laughs> Wait, talk about... Can we about... set the stage really quick that you just pulled out a magazine <laughs> about production yeah, designers? Yes, yeah. yes. As a proud as a proud member of the art directors guild, I get a magazine uh, about about the craft. Uh, It says here, uh, design approach. We tried to hit a place where no one has been. Hopefully, no one can quite put their finger on it. We were looking at very old and very new design, imagining that in Bella's world, art and design history wasn't the same as ours. And I feel like that approach like really shows I was reading another interview with them where they were talking about how they really tried to rely heavily on paintings in creating the production design for the show or for the movie. I mean, Uh, Mm -hmm. kind of the way that everyone who looks at a painting looks at it differently is the effect that they were trying to create where Mm -hmm. they're pulling a lot from like Hieronymus Bosch, MC Escher, Georgia O'Keeffe, all of these kind of like surrealist artists Mm -hmm. where Maybe if you look at it from one angle, it looks like this. If you look at it from this angle, it looks like this. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at it from a child's perspective, looking up, maybe it looks different than it will to you as an adult looking down. So they're kind of, mm-hmm. they're creating yeah. a period piece, but not from any one particular period. They're creating something in right. and out of time. Which is exactly what Bella is. Mm-hmm. She's like both, She she's she doesn't really have a timeline because who she is is a completely unique monster you know it, like this is a monster movie in a way right um so it's funny we're kind of just starting with the window dressing right we're starting with like the curb appeal of this movie what it looks like um but let, let's get into kind of the story uh, and some of the performances um so this is set in you know victorian Eng- victorian england in london uh we meet this medical student max mccandles great name uh, who's becomes an assistant to Godwin Baxter, another great name. Um, let's talk about meeting these characters, specifically Defoe. Like when you saw Willem Defoe, like what? I had a lot of feelings because I was like, I was like back in my seat, like whoa, like yeah. <laughs> they took Willem Defoe, who's already got a fucked up face, and they're like, what if it's not fucked up enough? Like I need Willem Defoe, and then we need to take his face. To a whole nother level we've never seen before. I, I mean, loved in it. hours of prosthetics. It was so extreme. And I was like, I, I love that. Yeah. Dude, th- this is the kind of, this is exactly the reason that I, I try to avoid watching trailers or like knowing anything about a movie going in. Cause this was definitely like, that was the, that was the first thing where I was like, whoa, I don't know what this movie is going to be like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That makeup is outrageous. Yeah, I thought he was, I mean, like, of course he's great, right? Like, I, I don't, right. this is, this, like, I feel like every role that Willem Dafoe takes on, you're like, of course that's what he is. Uh, and this was just another <laughs> one where it's like, well, of course he's Dr. <laughs> Frankenstein in Victorian era, like, doing, right. wearing this crazy face prosthetic and burping giant gas bubbles. Like, I think he's just <laughs> such a unique actor and that every role he takes on just feels like a role that he was born to play. Totally. Yeah. I love how sweetly deranged he is throughout this movie. Yeah. Yes. 
Like he seems yes. like he has the best intentions, but with just the wildest approach. His morality is so broken from what we hear about his father and like how he was raised, <laughs> but then he is not a, about so lovingly. <laughs> yes. And it's, there's doesn't seem to be any maliciousness in him, but no, the entire world sees a monster and they're not, they're not really that wrong. Like look at his lair. He lives in with his mutated animals and his face. Like, yeah, that totally tracks, but he is, his conviction is like so believable uh, in, in Willem Dafoe's performance that like, I, I wasn't, I was well into the movie and I still wasn't sure if he was going to be the bad guy or a good guy. And I should say too, really quick, like you, Sean, I knew zero, like zero about this movie. I had not seen any trailer. I have not heard anything about it other than there was a lot of sex. That was all I knew. Um, I didn't, I'd seen a picture of the movie poster. That was literally the only thing I knew about it. So I was like, I didn't know Mark Ruffalo was in this movie. I didn't know Willem Dafoe was in this movie. All I knew was Emma Stone. And sex, so I'm like, give me, give me a ticket. Let's go. That was also all I knew going into it. I had seen yeah. a headline that was like, "Poor Things" is the horniest movie of the decade. Thank God, <laughs> movies are horny again. And I knew Emma Stone was in it. And then we started off the movie, and we got the basic starting premise. And I was like, Ah, okay. Whoa. I don't, I don't know how we're gonna get from here to horny. I'm concerned. <laughs> I, I'm here. I bought the I ticket. The target, <laughs> target, the horny baby. audience. <laughs> where, where are we going with this? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'd say that it's, for me, the the relationship between Willem Dafoe and and Emma Stone, their their characters, and the, like that's to me is was definitely like the always when the movie was at its best was when the, those two were interacting. For me personally, I just felt like particularly at the beginning and at the end of the film, like those, those were the, those were the, the times where I thought like the movie kind of found its heart a bit in a movie that to me strangely and where I'm probably an outlier again, felt really heartless at times and just didn't really feel like it had much of an emotional core. I thought like those yeah. were the times where it really felt like there was something to grasp onto a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I feel, or I, I think, I mean, I, I, I think that it was it was definitely the heart of the movie, and I'm so glad that it kind of started there and came back to that at the end. Um, and yeah, they they really did. You're absolutely right. Emma Stone and and uh, Willem Dafoe just had like a great chemistry. Um, I think too, it's it's worth mentioning too that this is a this is based on a book by oh, yeah. uh, yes. Alistair Gray. I am uh, approximately 20% of the way through the book right now. No way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've been waiting it? for it on my holds list after I got out of the movie. I immediately put a hold on it. <laughs> Shout out to the Multnomah County Library. You're doing your best to keep up with the wave of holds. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting so far, I will say. Well, I, we have to tune into our book podcast for that review. But yeah, we'll I want to I want to hear your impressions of the book and I, and I might read it, too, because I was reading a little bit just about how the reception to the book, at least in Scotland, was kind of frosty because apparently it's like a very distinctly Scottish book. And they were upset that it had been kind of like ripped out of that context. Um, and so I'm curious to curious to hear how it is. Hmm. What's interesting about the the book versus the movie is that the book, and this is just the starting premise of it, so it's it's loosely adapted. We do have the author's blessing. We got it before he died. <laughs> okay. So he does approve of the, the movie. Yeah. But it's, I would say the movie captures the essence of the book, at least as far as I've read, 
but it is, I can't say it's better because I haven't finished the book yet, but it takes a different approach where the book is structured in a bunch of competing accounts of Bella's life through the perspective of all of these various men that she encounters. Right. Oh, interesting. Oh, okay. So, so you know, you know from as early as the introduction that Bella, the character, fervently disagrees with at least one of these takes. Hmm. Oh. And then you go through the book and you're just kind of seeing all of these different perspectives and seeing just like, all right, well, how does how does this perspective come in with this bias? How does you start off with uh, Max McCandles? How does his bias come in with how he describes Bella with his notes on her and right. her early phases? Oh yeah, things Rainy. like that where it's like Rami Youssef. Uh, uh, yeah, plays, he did. Plays I thought he was comedian. great. He was really mm-hmm. good. Yeah, I mean, let's. I guess starting there, sort of this first act of the movie, um, when she's you know for all intents and purposes uh, a baby into a child basically at the house um breaking things she's just throwing plates she's just doing total child behavior uh thumping at the piano again i didn't i was like well i don't know what's going on and i think it's (laughs) super disorienting right because there's some fisheye lens going on she's sitting at the piano weird like you're is she what's wrong with her. And it's not till much later when you, you start to get the reveal of what he's actually done, that it begins to make sense. But um, man, when, when Max first shows up, you know, and he, I think the line is what a beautiful retard or something like that, like that line right away, just kind of slaps you in the face and you're like, Whoa, like, okay. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah, man. Speaking of just moments that slap you in the face in this movie, uh, when she starts stabbing that corpse just for oh, fun, oh. <laughs> that it was definitely a moment where I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, Only the dead ones for Bella. Yeah. And I, yeah, I was like, I'll, oh, I'll... is she going to be a murderer? There's a line that's early out of the book. I cannot for the life of me remember if they have this exact line at any point in the movie now. But Max McCandle says that Bella possesses what men have hopelessly yearned for throughout the ages the soul of an innocent, trusting, dependent child inside the opulent body of a radiantly lovely woman. Right. And I feel like here's here's where the fisheye lens really worked for me in this mm. segment of the movie, where like the extreme, like wide angle fisheye lens used mostly, if I remember correctly, to explore Baxter's lab. So like we're getting some very mm-hmm. like cinematic storytelling 101, love it where like the wide angles are kind of giving the impression of almost looking through a peephole or a magnifying glass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You get this sense that she's a bug under the microscope. Like she's constantly under surveillance, which she is literally. She's right. Max McCandless is, is here to <laughs> take notes on her constantly. Right. And this is sort of the so. first iteration of her being captured or trapped, um, mm-hmm. lock, locked up somewhere. This happens four or five different times in different ways throughout the movie to the point where at one point she's literally in a trunk. Uh, but in this point she's, she's sort of this, a captive in, in this, in this mansion of madness. Yeah. I, I was just going to say that I think uh, watching those scenes, especially as somebody who's on the cusp of now raising two toddlers at the same time was horrifying and traumatic. Uh, <laughs> like <laughs> watching a fully grown Emma Stone, uh, an actress who I like really enjoy and love play out like these toddler behaviors. I was like, this is, I thought I got away from this at my date night, but 
she nailed she nailed a lot of those mannerisms uh and, and very like, physical very grounded just like just that she's like, amazing just the like, walk alone terrific yeah like, like she's just a so touch amazing. of that frankenstein jerkiness yes. to it the toddler kind of like instability the top heavy and and kind of the the slightly wandering eyes were like not really yeah. focused on anything yeah it was mm-hmm. awesome even the costumes, like you have her kind of in those kind of like very comfortable fabrics, easy to move in, like the way you would dress a child. Mm-hmm. She's kind of clearly been dressed by somebody else. And she's also clearly, Peter, I'm sure you see this as the father of two daughters, kind of like already in the process of disrobing from whatever they've put on her at the beginning oh, yeah. of the day. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. just a, a classic child move, just like, oh, you put a sweater on me? Not anymore. Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> I, yes, that was also very familiar. Uh, I also just think it's crazy. Like, I, I'm, I, if I was betting, I would probably bet that she's going to end up winning the Oscar, which is wild. Like, she's really? going to have two best actress. Yeah, I, I think so. I think she's probably going to win, and, unless Lily Gladstone does for, for Killers of the Flower Moon. But right. I think it's just crazy to think Emma Stone's probably going to end up with two Oscars by, by the end of this year. Um, if, she, the, if she does, list. she'll be only the eighth women yeah. women to win two oscars by age 35 yeah wow. which is crazy there's so, like there's betty davis there's elizabeth taylor there's a few others crazy. uh meryl streep i think jodie foster no men I mean, weirdly she, she definitely oh wow she definitely deserves oh. to be in that camp though she is so great yeah yeah no 100 i mean i know all of us watch this too but like i i have very very intently and closely was watching the curse uh, her show on on Showtime and Paramount <laughs> Plus, right? Like, and then oh, this yeah. movie came out right after that series wrapped up, and like, I went right from that to this. At a, at <laughs> no point in the entirety of Poor Things did I think about her and the curse, which I no. like, like it was it was totally separate performance from that. And the curse is equally stunning performance, but for completely different reasons. Uh, I love yeah, that I mean, she's so excited to take on all of these like weird weird yeah. roles. And yeah. for an American actress, like to do this much, this many sex scenes is very rare. Like an, an actress of this magnitude, because like, okay, when the first time there was a little nipple slip, I was like, whoa, like Emma Stone, like letting it, letting it out for the, for the movie. And then like two minutes later, it was like, oh, okay, this is, this is old news like this is going to be happening constantly throughout this movie right like i think this that that risk like not just not a lot of actresses i would say especially in american movies like of her level really ever take that kind of risk and that kind of kind of like vulnerability i thought it was it was awesome and she's said that this is her favorite role that she's ever done for kind of that exact reason just like because because bella is so free because she lacks that shame about anything Hmm. Emma Stone has continuously described this movie as just like this is this is a movie about a woman who doesn't have to feel shame. Yes, yeah. Right. So like, yeah. Bella lacks she, that shame about anything: eating, drinking, relationships, right. sex. Like totally untethered to societal norms, and it was like I, I found it so refreshing to have a main character mm-hmm. that had almost no like angst or no like sense of who they're supposed to be. It was just like pure exploration and adventure and i just i found it too super refreshing yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah emma stone has said that like yeah as you know as a woman in the world as we know it as an american woman specifically with the many hang-ups that our mm-hmm. society has about sex sexuality all of that like it was a really freeing thing to think about to live in bella's shoes for a little bit and just be like 
what if I didn't have that judgment around my body, around my body or like around my sexuality? What if, what if I could just live and be and not have to worry about this? Mm -hmm. Like even, even the way the camera doesn't shy away from her nudity is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Cause I think in a lot of movies you'd have it like be like, all right, now we got to look away. Like, right. Got to let her do her, you know, dirty little acts here. It's just like, nope, we're here. It's fine. It's okay. Hmm. That's that. That's really awesome. I mean, I feel like you kind of you, but like you kind of already like get that sense. Like just watching the movie. I mean, just seeing that many, like that much nudity and that much, that many sex scenes and all this stuff. It's like you, you kind of know just as a as a regular moviegoer, like that Emma Stone believes in this movie <laughs> like mm-hmm. it, you know if you're going to give yourself that much to the movie like she definitely believes in this and so i think that also kind of like helps to like be like okay this is cool like i i you know yeah i and i think like kind of circling back a little bit to what we talked about with the, the lebowski pod with the coen brothers and how much they can get out of their actors i think uh, like I think Yorgos is really good at getting a lot out of the people who act in his movies. Like, and I, in this yeah. interview I was just listening to with him and Emma Stone, he was saying in rehearsals they would just play, like they would just have full, full on like play sessions, get as ridiculous as you can, like let's just go all in. And that apparently Mark Ruffalo was like the most surprising, and that he was just totally game to go way over the top. Uh, <laughs> and I think maybe we can we can talk about Ruffalo in a minute because yeah, holy we shit, should. Like, where did that come from? Uh, there was a point in the movie where I was like, "Is that Mark Ruffalo?" I thought, like, I've never seen him go so hard. But yeah, sorry, go ahead, Peter. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna ask originally if if she was gonna be Scottsdale, Arizona's most famous former resident. But I'm looking and like Scottsdale has a lot of really famous people. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, never mind. Muhammad Ali, Steven Spielberg. Whoa. Oh yeah, I heard Charles Barkley. They're from Frank Scottsdale. Lloyd Wright, all from Scottsdale. Yeah, thought she was going to be a sure like go. statue of her in Scottsdale, but no. There's a lot of heavy hitters coming out of Scottsdale, Arizona. I mean, literally. Wow, Ollie. Yeah, Jesus, <laughs> Ollie. Good for good for <laughs> who them. knew? Good, good for Scottsdale. Uh, <laughs> it needed a dub. Let's let's talk about let's talk about Ruffalo here as as Duncan Wedderburn, a. Uh, smarmy lawyer who's very much uh when we first meet him sort of kind of playboy debaucherous guy who's sort of like he comes in because he is the lawyer who godwin hires to uh sort of drop these nuptial agreements for max who has sort of been slated to marry um and it feels very much godwin's the way he sort of proposes the idea of marriage feels like a continuation of his experiment like can I do this brain transplant and then grow this woman into a someone who I can marry to one of my students? Like this would be the grand circle that I'm trying to create here. Um, Duncan is is <laughs> for 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 being self aware. He is also extremely predatory here. Literally crawling up the side of the building to come back in and yes, basically have sex with Bella um, is is all he's trying to do. I think he so, yeah. sexually assaults her the moment he meets her. Yes, yes this is correct. <laughs> oh, he does, yeah. In the, cl- in the closet. <laughs> yep. Uh, 
but yeah, man, I he is just so uh, he he plays it so absurd. He has some amazing lines. I I think it's like when he's on the boat, and he's like, Bella, how about we take the air in our room? <laughs> <laughs> he is. I mean, the, he he was a big part of like this movie. This movie is really funny. Like I laughed out loud a lot That's, during yeah. this movie. He's just so hilariously over the top in his performance in a way that really, really works here. Like he's yeah. kind of very much matching Emma Stone's and Bella's energy through a lot of this. And I feel like a lot of where the comedy came from from his performance for me was just like the comedy of the desperation, just the way that he, the more desperate he gets, the funnier it gets. Just yes. watching him just like continuously just like slip on banana peels trying to... Mm-hmm box her up control her literally put her in a trunk it's just like nope it's right. not gonna work she's, becoming the she's thing he you. hates which is like yep. a leech you know <laughs> someone who's hanging on you can tell it's like <laughs> he's been trying to get rid of this type of person that he's become his whole life like he goes on trips with women who probably get attached to him and he's just trying to flick them off um mm-hmm. yeah it's awesome did he do anything for you peter i didn't know he had it in him i'm gonna be honest i i, I didn't <laughs> I, you know, we, we saw flashes of it maybe in Spotlight uh, and, and perhaps the Incredible Hulk, but <laughs> no, I thought he was, yeah. <laughs> again, I, 13 I going on 30? <laughs> 13 going on 30. Take your pick. Uh, uh-huh. I, I thought he was great. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I really did think he was, I just, yeah. I'm, I'm a Ruffalo fan. Uh, I thought he was great. And I just also, like, I, I just couldn't get past that, like, the scenes that he was in. Um, again, I mean, it's just going to go back to all my original criticisms of the movie, which is that yeah. <laughs> I just, I just couldn't get past so many other layers of getting in the way of me having a chance to laugh. Like, that's what I just realized when you were talking yeah. about that, Alex, is while you were laughing, I was just like distracted and fuming in my seat. Um, and <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And I, I, but I thought, I thought he was great. I, I actually, the, the scene that stood out to me that I really enjoyed was when she's leaving the brothel in Paris and he's like mm. running after her. And like trying to get her attention, I like that was that was that was awesome. I thought that scene was really well done. Um, but yeah, no, I, th- I thought he was awesome. I just I, I I thought Rami Yusuf was great. I mean, I don't I don't know if we want to get into some of the other performances, but um, again, I, th- I thought yeah. the actors that were in this like all just stepped up, with the exception of of Gerard Carmichael. Gerard Carmichael. <laughs> uh, Sorry. Sorry. No, it's I I, dude, I, agree I, I, I I kind of agree with you on that, but. Um, yeah, I I do think I mean, but I do think like at the end of the day, it's it's Willem Dafoe, Emma, it's Emma Stone, Willem Dafoe, and Mark Ruffalo definitely yeah. the standout like cast of this of this yeah. movie. Yeah, and and I you know Rami Yusuf like who's a primarily like a stand up comedian, right? Like that's sort of where he came from. Yeah, it's it, it's funny that yeah, Yorgos got Raimi and uh Gerard, like he went with he he wanted some comics in this movie, Lots I guess. Of comics, yeah. Uh I thought he was but I thought again, I he was so believable. Like I thought he was very good right from the beginning when he's talks back to the he talks back to the two other students in the class who's just like he's a brilliant surgeon. Like I, I believed him the whole time. And then um his little speech he gives about like how how he why he loves her and, and what he would how he would care for her and when he wants to fight that guy you know he's like i when he's talking about punching him and and she's like i'm feeling feelings i've never had for you before right now like watching you this way 
um it, very well done i was i was i was surprised by him i'm honestly shocked i'm looking at his wikipedia page i like i just assumed he was in more but he just hasn't it's really just been not in much anything. at all no this is his first that's, so this that's, is his first real movie he's yeah. had his show of course before but show, this is his yeah. first real movie role yeah, Shout out to great. him. That was yeah. That was he was great. Like I, I guess great. I just it, he seemed so natural that I just had assumed that he had acted in in other roles. Yeah, I love I love how he kind of approaches his relationship with her, like both from a scientific perspective, but then also almost kind of like puppy dog mode. He comes in with yeah. you know just like the big beautiful eyes, just like looking at her. Like he just seems to love that she's so raw and unfiltered. You know, he's top of his class, a nice buttoned up little science boy, really wants to seem put together. <laughs> And he is, he's, he's put together, yeah. but he just loves that she isn't and that she doesn't have yes. to be. And, and I think like, by the end of the movie, him. he realizes that she's gotten too big for him and that he can't give her yes. what she needs. Yes. She's like, I've been doing all this whoring. Are you still enchanted by me? And he's like, yes. Like, he's pretty much just like, <laughs> I am here for you when you are ready or if you want me. Um, mm-hmm. And unlike all the other men that, that she crosses paths with over the movie, he at no point tries to really trap her in the way that some of the other guys do. Um, even though he's sort of complicit in that with Godwin, um, that part of that part of being trapped in the beginning. But, but again, I do think that comes out of parental, like more parental safety on Godwin's part than mm-hmm. true. Like I'm going to keep shackles on her in this house. Um, certainly much different that happens later with Alfie, which, which we can get to. Um, yeah, man, there were so many parts of the movie that felt so, so trippy. Like, especially this is like this, like when she and Gerard Carmichael are like at the library of Alexandria or some, somewhere like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and Same. they're like lunching, and like, you know, it's like a very nice restaurant. And then like she looks down onto like some mines where like slaves are working and she tries to run down there and the staircase is like crumbled away. It was so like weird. It's like, man, I thought the beginning of the movie was weird. And this has gotten so, I mean, and, and especially too, like like Caitlin was saying some like that movie looks like a, that part of the movie looks like a painting, like looks like a, uh, yeah. like, it I does. don't know, not, not a Salvador Dali, but something like that. Something yeah, very something, surreal. Something you know, like that. I mean, There's and a, my, my wife at that point leaned over and was like, this just became a Terry Gilliam movie. Like, yeah, is, that's, yes. What is this? Yeah. yeah, totally. That's Peter must not like Terry Gilliam if he doesn't like steampunk though. <laughs> <laughs> I like Monty Python. And okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I no, I, I don't really like Terry Gilliam movies that much. <laughs> um, I, I there's a there's another uh, when they're on the boat too, man, that just feels crazy. And the way that they have like the, the colors mm-hmm. and the sky and everything, and uh, you know, that was just another part too, where part of Yorgos's whole thing where you know he wanted it to feel new and old. You know, we were talking about all the the weird old projection lenses that they were using. He also like he didn't want to do a green screen for the boat. And so they used a huge LED screen so that like in, you know, the thought being Mm -hmm. like, oh, the old way would have been like the actors would see what's on the thing. But we're going to use a new LED screen to do it. Um, Mm. 
So like, and and I don't know, like the camera. Oh, they moving. filmed this in the sphere. <laughs> uh, man, that's real though, dude. The the volume. Have you heard of it? It's yeah, it's what the they shoot like Star Wars on and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's the, um, the Arts. The but, LED screen, I feel like, really goes to the way that so much of this movie feels like really consciously artificial in a way that kind of loops back around and feels like hyper realistic. Like all the colors, yeah. the saturation is really high. Everything's just kind of dialed. Yeah, yeah, very, very maximalist for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. I I think that's a great way of putting it because I I I do like one thing I just very much admired about this whole movie was just the fact that they were so deliberate with the sets and like it was so cool to see something that had so much care put into it that they were able to construct mm-hmm. these really incredible worlds even though i didn't like what was happening in the worlds like the worlds themselves were so incredible <laughs> mm-hmm. um that that was that was one area where i was just in and specifically around the ship and then i was, I was making a signal during the alexandria scene that was one that like completely lost me um but yeah. the set yeah. itself yeah. was so awesome like it was crazy it's dude. Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, it was it was it was a wild set. And I was like, man, I wish everything else that was happening could live up to to clearly what this set designer put together. How um, great it looks. Yeah. Can I ask what your guys since this is kind of split up like a almost like a chapter book? I mean, they have sort of those chapter hmm. segmentations. Yes. Yeah. Did you did did you all have a favorite chapter as as part of the movie? Because hmm. hmm. for me, I, let me just put it this way: when I was yeah. watching it, I kind of. I, I kind of thought of it as I, I, I was an English major along with our, our good friend Edwin. Um, and we took many classes together. And I remember we took a class on like 18th century literature and it was just terrible. And one of the, the key topics was buildings Roman, right? Like the, the coming of age stories. And so we would read these coming of age stories that were honestly usually really boring, but there were, they were sort of segmented in a very similar way to this this movie where you would sort of have like these, there were sort of these self-contained conflicts that they had to overcome and then they would learn a lesson and then they'd kind of move on to the next one. And, uh, and so that's kind of how I, that's kind of thematically how I watched the movie was kind of through that lens, but I wasn't totally. sure if you hmm. all had kind of separate chapters that you, that you enjoyed. I really like, I mean, I kind of like the whole part in France and the brothel. <laughs> I really enjoyed <laughs> I yeah. really enjoyed some of the, a lot of the brothel stuff. Part of it is mm-hmm. like the, the Madame Swiney, I think her name was the mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. Madame mm-hmm. who runs the brothel was just such a like electric character to be. I was just fascinated. Yeah. Um, and Catherine Hunter is the actress. Catherine Hunter. And mm-hmm. then just sort of watching that part of Bella's growth was the most interesting to me. Um, so I guess let's say, let's say sort of, part of into the brothel back to her returning to Godwin when he's ill. I think that that kind of chapter was, was probably my favorite. It's where we see her definitely coming into her own the most for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, she's, she's still approaching the sex that she's having kind of from a detached, almost like clinical perspective. She still feels right. like she's very much in control of the situation in a way that you might not have expected given where the movie started with mm-hmm. there's a baby's yes. brain in this woman's body but by now she's <laughs> just about right. just about caught up she's like almost she's gone to, from just know. like shoving apples in her vagina to <laughs> to to realizing like hey at a brothel this could be better if i have a conversation with the clients first just a short like 
three question conversation is going to make the sex, the experience better for both of us. And like that empowerment, she sort of finds at the brothel of like, Hey, why aren't we picking the clients? Like surely isn't that better for everyone? Um, Mm. yeah, I, I really like kind of like that, that turn. Like you see a lot of movies that, you know, either employ female sexuality as either a reward for usually a man or as like a reason for a woman to be punished. Mm. I liked that this movie didn't do either of those. Yeah. I also like that for for with a movie wow. yeah. for a movie with as many sex scenes as this had, and God knows there were plenty. Godwin knows there were plenty. <laughs> <laughs> even even still, the sex scenes they didn't feel like unnecessary unnecessarily titillating, I would say. It mm. almost yeah. emphasized kind of the absurdity of sex more so than the ecstasy. Yeah. In a way that was really well interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Especially on the Broadway you scenes. see this where there were no. several sexy scenes that were not as sexy <laughs> yeah. as see, you would expect. <laughs> see, uh, see Crab Man uh, for reference. Oh, God. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, God, I forgot about that. I'll never forget about um, that. I, I would say I would agree with the, the, the scene. I think I mentioned this earlier, but definitely the scenes in Paris are kind of for me where it, it, it kind of felt like it, it was cohering in a way that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um for me personally, and then that return to Godwin. And then I, maybe it's just cause it was, I, I hate the criticism that a movie is too long. Like I can't stand the criticism. Like people can't stand movies that are too long these days. I think it's just mm-hmm. kind of, I don't know. I think it's a silly criticism. I do think this movie probably could have shaved some time. Um, and I thought the Alfie plot line towards the end was where I, I really started to kind of lose my attention a bit. Totally um, agree with you. I don't think that chapter was needed at the end. Yeah. Like, I understand why we had to have it, but it was also yeah. the one, I would say, if we're ranking the chapters as far as how much we like them, that one's lowest on my list because it was the most terrifying. Christopher yeah. It Abbott was. It was scary. Just, yeah. I was just shaking in my seat the entire time we were in there. Just the way that he had that kind of just like quiet violence mm-hmm. in yeah. every interaction yes. she had with him. The cruelty. I didn't know if she was going to make it out alive because I have not yeah. seen any other Yorgos Lanthimos movies, but I understand that he does a lot of like yes. modernization of like classic Greek tragedy. So that's where I yes. was concerned we were going. I was like, is yeah. she in a time loop here where she's going to kill herself again? Like, oh, yes. you know, and like it's going to reset and it's going to like just is just going to keep happening and like. It was it, it was terrifying, and um, I I do agree that like it it I think that that last part existed to just answer some questions of like so wait who was she before this because the whole movie I was like at some point someone's gonna see her and be like oh my god it's you from before or whatever that happens right. right as she's about to get married to Max right and I I was like man I thought a such more elegant ending would have just been she just declines to know well there is also somebody recognizes her i think on the boat or on the boat in a restaurant yeah Yeah. i see at that point i i was almost like ready for that to be it like yeah you just get the name like one woman recognized her and then she's like no and like (laughs) and then it would just be like we're done we're done talking about her life before yeah being lisa frankenstein but it was sort of just like we needed. It was like, do we really need this? This kind of one last type of guy 
who's the worst of them all. He was the final boss, right, of this movie of like, I literally carry a gun. That's a good way of putting it. I live in this mansion. You are locked inside. I'm going to cut off your genitals. Like, it was like, okay. I'm going to cut off specifically the one organ whose only purpose is pleasure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. After we've watched you get so much sexual pleasure this whole movie, he's going to go for the one thing that will really, really take that away from her. Yes. I just, that whole scene felt too much. And I don't know. Am I the only one who it felt like after they, after he was sedated and he got her, got him with the sedative and it was like, there could be an improvement. I was like, she's going to put Godwin's brain in this guy and like have a new Godwin. <laughs> I also thought that that's and where I, my mind went as well. I loved it. It was just like, nope. They're going to let Godwin go, and now this guy's a goat. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Way to to resist. Mm -hmm. Uh, Uh, Well, I... I think uh, we it's about time for just kind of final thoughts on yeah, on the movie. We hit an hour. Anything that what's uh, anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to talk about, Caitlin? I God, I just I just love this movie. I love how many different pieces of media it manages to pull in and reference really seamlessly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a little it's a little bit Alice in Wonderland. Like it's a little. Marquis de Chade. It's a little Pinocchio with a lot of sex. It's a whole lot of Frankenstein. We've already talked about that. <laughs> yeah. That's that's how I've always described this movie to people is Pinocchio what if Frankenstein's monster was just really hot and really horny. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> I love I love the way that it's like it's the unfamily friendly version of Barbie, where we get like yeah. a woman's childlike naivety becoming a surprisingly effective weapon against the patriarchy and we get yeah. a happy ending for her <laughs> right you know she she gets to become a real a real girl a real woman in the way that frankenstein's monster doesn't yeah yeah she becomes the master I, I of like, the estate you know like like totally crushes it i do like We're, that it had a happy ending that yeah. was nice because i honestly at the beginning when you just see her jumping off the bridge and th- so most of the movie i'm thinking like is it all leading up to that, right? Um, but very quickly, it's sort of like, oh, that's just who she was. But so I was like worried. Is like, oh man, this is all going to lead to. She's going to see the ugliness of the world. Her, she's her brain. She's progressing at this rate. She's going to get really depressed. And I was thinking, like, man, she, uh, on like the timeline of her age, she's going to hit this like kind of dangerous period that some people hit, and in, in, like mental health of you know sort of like early 20s when a lot of mental health things will start to arise in people and i was like oh is she gonna hit this point and like jump off the bridge again i was like ugh, and yeah i'm so glad it didn't it didn't do that and instead it just she just like firmly got in the driver's seat of of her world by the end yeah i i i think what i what i really just like this movie for me, I, I I liked the story a lot. I the performances were incredible from Emma Stone and 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 a few others, but like, I don't know. I, I, and Peter, like, I'm curious what you have to say about this too, because you've actually seen a few more of these movies. Like, I've seen some of Yorgos's work. Like, I I saw Dogtooth years ago, and that is like such a weird 
fucked up movie. And like, and Yorgos has just continued to put weird stuff in his movies. And like, I'm definitely like, man, I think this guy is kind of like a weirdo creep. <laughs> like, I don't know if I would want to know him. I don't know if I would want to work <laughs> on a set of a movie that he's making. Well, that's but, what makes it so crazy that Emma Stone, this is her third yeah, project she totally, him, and she's got two more in the works. She loves him. She loves and that weird little they made a They made a short film together. Like, I mean, they've done a lot together. And, you know, it's like, okay, that, I mean, that says something for sure. And, like, I got to respect the way he made this movie. I think, like, just hearing about him, you know, encouraging play in rehearsal time and, you know, goofing around with the cinematographer and using weird lenses and weird films. You know, they also, this is one of the only feature films ever made using ectochrome, which is like a reverse color film. Like they just like did all this weird stuff. They took two production designers who didn't know each other, made them co-production designers. And like, and Yorgos kind of just was like, you know told them i want the new and the old and and that sort of stuff and let them play and figure it out on their Mm -hmm. own and like and i think that all of that gets me like really excited about cinema to come like i am bo is afraid was a really good movie from earlier in the year it wasn't box office success right so like that was like it was kind of a failure (laughs) that's not good for the future of that style of filmmaking but (laughs) more things did succeed so like Mm -hmm. i am happy to see that and i hope to see um more stuff like it i think you know uh alex you said lynchian earlier like that's totally it's the same with bo is afraid like i'd love to see some more of that in uh, in 2024 and beyond. I know the fact that this movie and the holdovers are both nominated for best picture is a great sign of like <laughs> the range of movies that are like considered great. Uh, it's it's encouraging. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like I I uh, I am totally with you. I didn't like this movie. I I actually like really disliked this movie. I am really glad this movie exists. <laughs> I'm really glad this movie did well. Like that's that's what I kind of started with is that. I yeah. and I think I mentioned it earlier. I wouldn't be so happy to see a movie I so disliked win all the accolades that it may end up winning, right? Like because right. I think it 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 is a good sign of things to come even though it's not my particular flavor of tea. Like I'm glad yeah. it's out in the world and I'm glad it's done well. Um yeah. I think I'm very glad me, you I'm like, really glad you brought this opinion to the show. <laughs> like for real. I, it's no it's great. It's great. Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. I Thank think you. it's too easy to people are just like thumbs up or thumbs down, but there's so much room in between. Yeah. I and and I think like for me like I said at the beginning and, and I think it at, at, over the course of this conversation. Thank you all. I mean, I I I appreciate the movie in new ways. I don't like it anymore. Um but I think <laughs> <That's> like <good. laughs> like I appreciate it, but I I still just don't like it. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think for me, as I've sort of started to think about a lot of Yorgos's other movies, and I'll probably see Killing of a Sacred Deer still. I think I'll, I'll, I'll watch it. Dude, I was going like, to say. I, it, yeah, I'll watch it just, for you sure. You guys should all see it. It's fucking fucked up. It's fucking weird. So, it's fucked up. But if I if I kind of group this right, with his other... We'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah. If I, if I group this with his other movies, right, as sort of an allegory, right, which is it is like very specifically just like, you know, there oh, yeah. is a lot of subtext in this movie. Versus the favorite, which feels very much like it is way more of a like 
plot. Like it feels like it's much more story driven. It's much more plot driven. And I liked that yeah. one so much more than his other movies. It's just like, that might just be what I need. And so Caitlin, I remember we, we messaged about um, my year of rest and relaxation. He was, he was queued up to direct and maybe still be, might be directing. And I, I love that book. And it's like, I'm almost, that would be a great litmus test for me of like, he's given a, a story that is kind of propulsive. Not really. Like it's, it's a very strange book. If you haven't read it, it's great. Um, okay. But it, I, I almost feel like he needs something with, with a bit more kinetic energy in it to be able to direct. Right. And, and for me, like this is one where it just didn't feel like necessarily the story was the right fit for his directing. If that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, two two last notes. Just some great names involved in the making of this. The guy who edited it also named Yorgos. That's cool. And the guy who did the music <laughs> is named Jerskin Fendrix. So Ooh. I do I do have to talk about him, Peter. I know okay. you hated the score. It's okay. I <laughs> I love I loved the way that the score like it starts off so dissonant and just like so unruly. Yes. Like, like literally pounding like, a piano. Like like we're listening to, yeah, Bella playing the piano, just like listening right. to the gears, like turning within her subconscious. But then over the course of the movie, like it becomes more and more musically complex as her brain develops. Just really mm. cool. Love that detail. Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. reading about how he was making it. And I guess he recorded every instrument completely separately. You never mm. had an ensemble. You never had anybody huh. in the same room. Whoa. So you could just like, like surgically control the level of any one instrument. Right. And he, I guess, encouraged all of these people to kind of follow the same path as Bella Baxter does of like unlearning how to play their instruments. Mm. Like he's taking this woman with a bagpipe, obvious expert at the bagpipe. And he's like, how can we twist and contort this bagpipe to make a sound it's never made before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, cool. how can we like experiment and unlearn these instruments? How can we like make them worse in a way that makes them better? Mm-hmm. Just fascinating. That's, it's it's just more playing experiment. Perhaps we need to unlearn how we watch <laughs> movies, you know? Alex, just really quick for you. I did want to come back to Yorgos's uh, basketball career since, since you and I did at one point host a basketball podcast. Oh, my favorite Wikipedia entry, he was a notably skilled basketball player, averaging seven points and five rebounds. For who? That's the full sentence on Wikipedia. <laughs> good? <laughs> Not really. I mean, if you're playing if you're playing ones and twos like to eleven NBA. at the YMCA, that's dominant. Yeah. Averaging seven Wonder, and five. Yeah, in what I, context? I, in what game? Yeah. I wonder if Yorgos wrote that line on his. <laughs> Dude, he needs to do a basketball movie. Oh my god, he should do the oh, Boban, wow. the Boban story or something. Um, <laughs> see what he can do with that actor. Anyway, thank you everyone so much for joining. Uh, before we go, we should give our uh, our ratings out the door as we do on this. Of course, our ratings. Feel free to give your rating on any scale of your choosing. We do not use as long as we all don't use the same one. Uh, let's start. We'll go Sean, Peter, and then Caitlin. Sean, give us your rating for poor things. I'm gonna okay. I've been doing star of five star reviews lately, but I'm I'm gonna start getting more creative with it. So I'm gonna do. Uh, I'm gonna give this, um, like sixteen 
duck heads <laughs> out of <laughs> I'd say out of like 21 dog bodies. <laughs> I think it was it was nice. like Again, I I was just so impressed with it. I I guess I'd have to go back and watch it again someday, which I would be happy to do, um, to see if it if it uh, you know holds up for a better score. Peter, I give it one big belchy gla- gas bubble. <laughs> Out of how many gas bubbles? <laughs> Out of I don't want there to be any gas bubbles. <laughs> I don't want any more. Uh, yeah, no. I, if one I was little on gas star, bubble. Instead. I think on Letterboxd I gave it like one and a half or two. Uh, I, but I, again, as I as I've mentioned, you know, it's this is a me problem. It's not a it's not a it's not a movie problem. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I think for me, it, in the end, if I had to add up all the sums, it would be great. If I if I was to take it all together, or excuse me, add up all the parts, it would be great. But take it as a sum, just didn't do it for me. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give it two out of five, two stars out of five. All right, okay, Caitlin. So I have I have an ongoing bit with a friend where uh, it started. We were visiting an aquarium one time, and we we're looking at the fish. Fish are lovely. I was looking at Classic. one of the fish, and I was like, Do you think? that like we perceive fish beauty in the same way that other fish perceive like what if i'm looking at this fish and being like this is a gorgeous fish and then there's other fish is looking at that just like that's the ugliest fish i've ever seen oh caitlin you <laughs> would love like, the caitlin you would love the shape of water <laughs> i love the shape of water <laughs> um my friend was like i don't think that fish look at it that way i feel like it's more of like a binary scale just like either like a zero or a one they're not rating them on like a scale of 10 mm. so I'm going to rate this movie like a fish would rate a movie or another fish. One out of one would bang. Nice. <laughs> awesome. awesome. We have really uh, different thoughts at the aquarium. I would. Just... <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'll, I'll uh, shout out to, to my guy, Yorgos, uh, who, who once apparently dropped seven points in five boards. I'll give it, I'll give it a seven points in five boards out of a possible eight points in six boards. <laughs> so it oh, that's a good score. Filled up the box score for me. Um, wow. Yeah. So <laughs> really enjoyed it. Uh, would bang as well. Uh, I'll bang this movie. <laughs> uh, once we're wed, only once we're wed in Victorian England. Uh, I don't want to be too forward, but anyway. Uh, all right. Well, thank you all for, for coming on the show. We appreciate it. We'll see you next week. For Devil Wears Prada and uh, maybe some Oscar stuff. Maybe we'll do some around the Oscars, you know? Keep keep the feed in your mind, in your hearts. We'll do the same. Uh, until later. Adios. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.